I'm Carrie Dozer, and this is TGen Talks. When you hear the word detective, you probably think of a crime scene. Officers searching for clues and ultimately an answer to the question, what happened here? But when the mystery is something physical, something medical, signs and symptoms of a little-known disease, TGen scientists are hard at work. They're like disease detectives. They study the sometimes strange and often little-known ailments that plague those who live in the desert southwest. This episode of TGen Talks brings us to TGen North. It sure is a nice time of year to be up here. And we're talking with Dave Engelthaler. He's the director of the Pathogen and Genomics Division up here in Flagstaff. Thanks again for joining us. You're a pretty regular guest. I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, it's good to see you again, Carrie. <laughs> for people who are listening who don't know that TGen has a TGen North location, tell me a little bit about who works here, how big you are, and what you're looking into in general. Sure. TGen North is essentially our division of infectious diseases, what we call the pathogen and microbiome division. So we do all the same great science that the rest of TGen does, except we're looking at the genomics of pathogens, including bacteria, viruses, fungus. Uh, And so the group up here is really focused on infectious diseases and supporting public health, as well as supporting healthcare and our doctors uh, and nurses to try to take care of patients. Do most of your staff members, your researchers, do they work on more than one thing at a time? As, as you can imagine, uh, in, when we work in infectious diseases, we work on, on pretty much everything that, that is uh, important. Um, we jumped in, as we all know, and, and did a lot of work during COVID. But prior to that, you know, we've been working in valley fever and tuberculosis and hospital-acquired infections, uh, other viruses that may be sh- shared in the environment, mosquito-borne diseases and the like. So there, there's no one specialty up here. We do work on a, a wide variety of pathogens. Let's talk valley fever. It's something that I feel like everyone in Arizona is aware of. They've heard of it. They know somebody who had valley fever with a, a poor outcome. It's, it's tough. What are you looking into at TGen North? What kind of data do you gather, and what do you do with it? Well, well so first of all, obviously, valley fever is critically important for Arizona and, and much of the Southwest. We see it as Arizona's disease. That's why we spend so much time on it. It's a uh, actually, one of the first things that, that we started working on 15 years ago when we opened TGen North. But we um, really try to apply uh, all the different tools and technologies uh, from a variety of areas, develop better diagnostic tools, uh, help develop new treatments. We've worked on that in the past, develop ways to understand how the fungus survives in the environment, how it moves around. And now, more importantly, how are people getting infected? That's an area that we've been focused on a lot. It seems like there's not a lot of treatment options. It doesn't. People have a hard time being diagnosed with valley fever, and once they're diagnosed, they don't know what to do about it. Does the research that you're doing here help to that end? Yeah, uh, valley fever being a um, caused by a fungus that that survives in in the environment that people breathe in uh, makes that harder to actually treat. In in the end, all fungal diseases are are more difficult. With valley fever, there are a few decent treatment options, but those treatments are a bit toxic to people. Humans genomically are more related to fungus uh, than we are to, say, bacteria and and other things that we can kill with really good antibiotics. So the treatments we have are are not perfect, uh, and we have helped in the past to try to improve those, look at different small molecules and chemical compounds that actually are really good at killing the fungus. Uh, we don't have a, a large active program in that right now, but uh, we're working with a number of groups that do. 
You mentioned a term earlier called Coxie Watch. Yeah, Coxie Watch is, is based off of uh, actually something that we have referred to as BioWatch, which is really the use of air filters to monitor, to look for um, you know, potential pathogens uh, that may be airborne. Well, valley fever is probably the most important airborne pathogen that we have in, in, in Arizona. Uh, and what we've been wanting to do is try to understand how much fungus is actually floating around in the air. Uh, and, and are there times of the year that it's more important? Are there weather patterns that will make it a higher risk for individuals? So we are looking at dozens of air filters collected on a daily basis throughout uh, over across multiple years and doing all of that analysis tying it to weather data tying it to human case data tying it to uh, cases in in dogs try to understand uh, if we can develop a predictive model that could be essentially like a an early warning system to let people know yeah we also know when we have high pollution in the air right we should know when do we have high amounts of the coxie fungus in the air does valley fever have a season uh, valley fever is is known to be seasonal, but what we've also seen is that there are cases throughout the year. Uh, it's not strictly relegated to, to one time of the year, but uh, monsoon time is, is thought of as an important early environmental uh, indicator of when we might start seeing cases. We get more uh, rainfall that probably increases fungal growth to the point that you can actually get more fungal spores getting up into the air and spreading but we haven't proven that yet because no one has ever looked in the air for this fungus. Strangely enough, that's what we're doing now with Coxie Watch. What else are you looking into that affects us here in the Southwest Desert? We're, you know, we do try to be international and and, and think about the, the important uh, infectious diseases, but we absolutely have to be thinking about our backyard and what is going on in Arizona. Uh, Valley fevers is... Uh, we consider Arizona's disease. One of the other ones that we think about, obviously, is, is uh, West Nile virus. We just brought on a great faculty member to, to teach in, Dr. Crystal Hepp, and, and her team is focused on that. Uh, we are uh, working with the, um, our different tribal nations. We're working with the hospitals to understand what is most important to them and how can we apply the tools uh, to uh, support their specific needs. Rural Arizona has vastly different concerns and problems than, say, more urban Phoenix uh, and Tucson areas. When we run down the list of things that TGen North is looking into, cryptococcus comes up. That just sounds scary. What is it and how prevalent is it? Yeah. Cryptococcus, it's <laughs> another one of these fungal diseases. Uh, it's, a, it's a fungus that uh, we knew for a long time survived primarily in the tropics uh, and could get in the air and infect people, but mostly it's just living in the environment, not, not affecting people. Uh, but then we've also seen that there's a, a, a type, a strain of this cryptococcus uh, that got up into the Pacific Northwest, which is very not tropical. Uh, and so seemed to be in, inhabiting a different area and then started uh, causing a significant number of deaths up in uh, Vancouver and in Washington, even in Oregon. Uh, so that was an area that we spent a lot of time working with CDC to understand what was going on with this fungus. How did it change? Why is it up there? And now, uh, just in the, the past couple years, we've been seeing cases of cryptococcus locally here in Arizona that had no travel to either Brazil or to the Pacific Northwest. And we've just recently identified that this, is, this new strain is certainly here in Arizona, 
We don't know exactly where. We've seen it in southern Arizona, but we're studying it really closely. So this is, this is all kind of emerging infectious disease work that uh, we're hot on the trail. Most people wouldn't know that that's what they have, and I imagine most doctors don't, haven't ever seen it. How do you find it? When you say you've discovered cases, where do they come from? Yeah, uh, the the technology to look for different pathogens has really increased in in our um, in our hospitals and the the clinical laboratories that they use. But they don't know exactly what strain of something they can they're looking at. So they can identify Cryptococcus. It's a fungal disease. It's typically causing a respiratory illness. Sometimes can cause a neurologic disease. But they can grow a fungus out of a patient sample. Those are the samples that have been sent to us because they know that we're, um, we have a lot of expertise in this area, and we've identified there's clearly a strain that is, seems to be specific to Arizona or the Southwest. Uh, and and we're, we're only talking about a handful of cases, so not to be alarmist on this. We don't know how widespread it is or how hard it is to get, uh, but it is uh, certainly emerging in our understanding. It makes your team sound like a little bit like detectives. A doctor sees something they, they don't know what to call, what to name, and eventually it rises to the level of TGen North, who finally gives it a name. Is that how it works? Yeah, well, I, we're, we're not naming these per se. We do work with the international community when a new uh, pathogen is identified. But yeah, your, your point about being detectives is absolutely the case. That's what an epidemiologist is, is a disease detective. We're essentially genomic based detectives. We can apply all this technology to help understand on a level that we've never been able to before. So that's how we're able to determine, yeah, there's a brand new, what some people are calling a brand new species. Mm -hmm. We don't know if it's a brand new species, but it certainly is distinct from all other cryptococcus that we're seeing. Uh, And we're trying to understand where does it live? How quickly does it um, change so that it can adapt to an environment like the Southwest? Um, Who's at risk from being infected? All of these questions we don't know yet, uh, but we're, we're certainly um, put on our detective caps right now. Does the international um, research community have a top 10 list like an FBI most wanted? I mean, does that exist? <laughs> well, it, uh, it does exist in some cases. I mean, the WHO certainly has its top um, urgent threats, infectious disease threats around the world. Uh, and, and this is not on it, but... Actually, there's another type of cryptococcus that's commonly found in Africa where there's a lot of HIV cases and tuberculosis cases, and the combination of those three is one of the most important uh, health conditions in the world. So it's not an unknown fungus to us. It just was previously unknown to be here in Arizona. You mentioned tuberculosis, which I, I think most listeners think of as a little passe. What is the incidence of tuberculosis, and what is it that you're looking into at TGen? Yeah, aside from this past two years of COVID, tuberculosis is the number one infectious disease killer in the world and and has been for a while. I mean, essentially somebody dies every 20 seconds from tuberculosis. Really? Yeah, it is that important and it's that prevalent. We think about one third of the world's population is infected with tuberculosis. Now, most of those people aren't getting sick from it. Uh, They carry it around in what we call a latent stage in their lungs and and it's kind of walled off, but... If you get, you know, immune suppressed somehow or, or going through some disease condition, tuberculosis could, could also break out and, and you have a, a really, really bad infection. Uh, but it is mostly seen everywhere but here. We do have cases in Arizona. And it is important when we see it so that it doesn't become drug resistant and doesn't become untreatable. 
like it has in some parts of the world. We're seeing some some countries see what we call extremely drug, drug resistant. So it's resistant to most drugs that are out there and even pan drug resistant. It's resistant to every drug out there. And those people have to be essentially locked away in, in um, isolation because there's no way to treat them. We can't have them infecting other individuals. Uh, so it's a, it is a really bad disease that we're still battling. But what TGen is doing is applying technology that allows us to have an essentially an early warning system for when drug resistance is starting to develop. So then you could switch the drug combination and give the doctors that ability uh, to actually treat and cure their patients before they become resistant. It sounds like with all of these scary sounding things that you look into at TGen North that none of your team would go outside. How do you all look at these pathogens? Because you know so much about them. Are you more or less uh, aware? And I, I would say scared is the wrong word. Are you more or less um, frightened by them? Yeah, I, you know, I think it would be tough to, to work here if you were a germaphobe, right? And, and some people are naturally. And, and that is, um, and if you have that fear, it, it, you, we'd have to get past it um, because we do have to work with some of the more dangerous uh, microbes out there. But we also um, are really public health minded and understand this on a population level. Uh, and understand what the risks are. Uh, and so, you know, that, that is the, that gives us the mission of the importance of this work that we're trying to do. So that helps overcome, you know, maybe some fears that people may have because we're doing such a um, amazing work to support the, the overall population. We work with doctors and, and help them with individual patients, but we're also thinking about the, the whole population. And so that sense of mission gives that kind of sense of duty, which is, um, you know, makes it, I think it makes it a lot easier to work here. To that end, you, you're very involved in an effort uh, called the Pathogen Intelligence Center, something you're creating. Tell me what it is, how a, the regular person could access it and what they might find. Yeah, so pathogen intelligence is a, is a phrase that we came up with to really understand what it is that we're trying to do. We're trying to gain intel on these pathogens, and the best intel we can get is in their genetic material. So a lot of that means sequencing DNA or RNA uh, of these organisms, and we can understand who's more related to who. We can understand uh, when outbreaks are occurring, where outbreaks are occurring. Uh, we can see if something is drug resistant or, or may have a virulence gene that makes it more dangerous. All of this information comes out of the genomics. A lot of things we just had to guess about before. We can do that now. And, and for us, it's important to make this data available to our public health partners, mm -hmm. to our healthcare partners, as well as to the general public. During COVID, everybody was tracking numbers. We were, we were tracking the variants uh, across the state since the beginning of the pandemic and making all that information publicly available. So it, there is um, a certain sense of power that individuals have when they have knowledge. They, they know more about it. They know what the better what the risks are, uh, what we should and shouldn't do when we get this information. So we're trying to make that information more uh, accessible and available. It's not this very complex genomic data, mm -hmm. but bringing it to the point where it's, we can visualize it and, and make it relevant to individuals. So we do have a, a website, pathogen-intelligence.tgen.org. Uh, where we're posting a lot of this, but we're also making some parts of that as early warning reports so that the local health officials can actually see what is happening today with some of these pathogens in our state. 
How far away do you think we are from having something like a high pollution advisory that goes out to the general public? We get dust storm warnings. We get monsoon warnings on our phones. How are we close to that? Will that will that day come? Yeah, no, I, I think it will. You know, so like, for instance, the, the Coxie Watch, the Valley Fever uh, alert system, that's not available yet because we're still learning about what what is important and what is actually predictive of, of a higher risk. But we do know, like when with wastewater testing, where we were able to identify um, the the SARS-CoV-2 virus in wastewater before cases were showing up, and so we know that that provides maybe a week to two weeks early warning that this is in our community, and so that is something that we are making, trying to make it available as real time as possible. So we have these dashboards that show this information. We're starting to look at other viruses in the wastewater. We'll probably be looking at other stuff in the air or what we're finding in our healthcare system and trying to make that as closer to real time available as possible so that it is kind of that warning system like you were talking about. Awesome, good information. Thanks so much again for your time. Yeah, thank you, Carrie. For more on TGen's research, go to tgen.org news. The Translational Genomics Research Institute, part of City of Hope, is an Arizona-based nonprofit medical research institution dedicated to conducting groundbreaking research with life-changing results. You can find more of these podcasts at tgen.org slash tgentalks, Apple and Spotify, and most podcast platforms. For TGen Talks, I'm Carrie Dozer.